Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, So due to the sensitive area where this guest serves, we're not going to be able to show the video part of this, but you will be able to hear the audio through the entire entire service. So uh, uh, if you've noticed for our our, our, uh, communication for this week, we haven't used a picture, we haven't used a name of uh, the individual that is going to speak to us this morning. I uh, met him on the field probably 15 years ago in the area that he is serving, Becky and I. Uh, I was doing a site planning trip for a team that I was taking, and I, I met this individual there, was doing a powerful work for God in a very difficult environment. I was so impressed with what he was doing that when I got home, I sent him $25,000 to, uh, to help in his uh, missionary uh, service and the works that, that he was doing. And uh, so for a long time, he's given his life to a certain part of the world, and uh, he still uh, is there today. He could be retired. He could be doing something that's easy for his age, but he's in one of the most challenging environments in the, in the world, uh, doing kingdom work and gospel work. And we're very honored uh, to have him this morning. So would you make welcome to Generations Church, our guest speaker this morning. Glad to have you today. Glad to have you. Great to be with you this morning and uh, see the pastor and his wife again. We did see them many years ago, and uh, he has a great missions vision, and I can see he's uh, leading a great congregation here, and uh, it's just great to be with you and share uh, what God is doing in the Middle East and throughout the, the world through, uh, let's see if I can get this on here right, I prefer not to have that back in uh, was it April, May of last year, we were at the district council for the West Florida, and I met with the pastor and another person there, and a, a girl walked by who had been working in our part of the world for six years. And so Ryan says to her, oh, do you know so-and-so? And she says, yes. And then she said, no. And then she said, yes. And then she said, no. And he said, well, he's uh, a missionary, and she said, oh, you're a real person. <laughs> she had heard the name, thought it was a pseudonym, and wasn't sure it was a real person. That's how secretively we have to live and work in the area where I work. People from the Assemblies of God had been out in our area six years, had never seen me, didn't know my name. I knew my name, but didn't know it was a real person. So I appreciate you guarding my sensitivity and uh, I, I, this morning. I, I know you'll pray for our work, but it's important that we have had, uh, well, I'll, I'll go on here. If you have your Bibles, oops, you turn with me to chapter, Acts chapter 29. Today we're going to talk about Acts 29 and 
30 and 31 and 32. I'm not sure how far we're going to get. Uh, I've got a lot of time, he says here. I'm watching my watch, but not really. We're living in the book of Acts. And we're seeing a Pentecostal revival sweep through the world. My ministry is with Muslims, at this point, Arabic-speaking Muslims. And we have ministry in 168 countries of the world. I live in a country that I'll talk about, and I'll show you some pictures. We won't mention that the name. But we're living out Pentecost. As a matter of fact, because we can't use the word church, and we can't use the word cell group, because cell group in many parts of the Middle East is uh, political. These terrorist groups have sleeper cells. You've probably heard of those here in America. So we can't use the word cell. That has a bad meaning. They came up with the name Upper Rooms. So we meet in small groups, never more than eight. That's the maximum. This is a huge crowd for me this morning. Usually four or five people is all that can meet at a time because we have to meet secretly in what we call upper rooms. And I want to talk about that. But if you live in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. You really can turn. There is an Acts chapter 2, and you can turn there. But we're also living in Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13. If you live in Acts 2, you're going to live in 1 Corinthians 13. We have love and show love to everybody, to one another, and that characterizes our whole movement is love. But also, there's also Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm not talking about the first part of that where you're talking about the faith. It's about the end of chapter 11. It talks about people that uh, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and how they suffered not obtaining what was promised by faith, but they walked by faith believing. And I'm going to show you some pictures here. Uh, flip up there, number 34. Um, we're going to check and see if this... Uh, that, oh, no, that's not right. Okay. Hmm. Uh, well, we'll talk about this man. He got beat up for his faith and lost an eye. And... Uh, the brothers pitched in. We bought him a glass eye. He, he's doing pretty good now. I don't know. I don't know what number to tell you. Then I, I think we're on another place. Uh, try thirty-seven. I'm okay. That's good. Okay. This is one of our believers. Uh, they, they burned this person's. Uh, this was actually was a beauty salon, and it got uh, bombed out because they found out about their face. Go on to thirty-eight. Be ready to move. Okay, that's a car that I used to drive. We used to take Bibles and things around. We got stoned and got the windows knocked out. Later, they burned this car. Uh, try 39. Okay, go on. Don't skip that one. Sorry, 41. Please, please, are we gonna have, we're, please move that quickly. Uh, this, we found a family that had been put out of their house living in under this uh, tree, and they said, the man said, They'd been there several days before we found them, and they said, hey, we'd rather live under this tree with Jesus than to live in the nicest house in the town where they came from. Try 42. Let's, uh, I'm getting nervous here. Okay, that's not going to work. Okay, we're on, we're our, my pictures here have different numbers, and that's okay. So let's uh, look at Acts chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, rather. Sorry. I'm going to read some verses there. This is what our ministry is about. And I hope that today not only I will encourage you uh, and excite you about missions in this part of the world, but I hope I will also leave you some things that will help you 
in your mission field here. In chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is the end of the story of the day of Pentecost. And he says, those that accepted the me message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the church that day, to their number. Then in verse 47, it adds like this, and the Lord added daily those who were being saved. Now, we start on the day of Pentecost, outpouring the Spirit, people fill the Spirit, saved, baptized in water. Then there's a few verses that explain what I call the DNA of the church, the, the fingerprints, the formula for the church. And then in verse 47, it ends, God adds daily, and that's the goal. I went more than 10 years before I saw the first Muslim accept the Lord. It was probably more than five before the second and the third came along. But we believe that one day there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit and that God not only would be our Spirit, but he would be adding daily. And I can say now in multiple places throughout the Middle East, God is adding to his church daily. And I want to look at some of those characteristics. You know them. But verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. We are a teaching group of people. The early church started out with the doctrine. What were the disciples teaching? They were teaching what Jesus taught them. You know, going to get off just a little bit here, but I think it'll help you. The Great Commission, and I heard a very famous person last night speaking about the Great Commission, and he did what I had done for 30 years. I preached on the Great Commission as a missionary. I didn't even understand it. But one day God showed me what the Great Commission was all about. And it's what our group is about. The Great Commission is not just about, it is about going. And it is about baptizing. It is about teaching and making disciples. But we leave out this one little word there. Teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded. You see, the Great Commission is not fulfilled until the people who are following Jesus are obeying all of his commandments. That sounds pretty simple. But when you know the area I live in, 80% of our believers come out of radical Islamic backgrounds. People who were terrorists, people who sent terrorists, people who have anger about multiple governments trying to overthrow multiple governments in the Middle East and other places. But we teach them all. Love your enemy. Treat everybody like you want to be treated. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor yourself. That's some things that aren't, I'll have to say, the good, Great Commission is not being fulfilled some places in America because we're not doing that here. We still hate our enemies. We still bomb our enemies. We still don't bless them. We don't pray for them. I've got people that love them. I've got people in Palestine that are evangelizing Jews. I've got people in other countries that are evangelizing the people that are persecuting them simply because they are a minority or because they, they come from a religious background. But we want to do all the things. So the disciples, they started teaching what Jesus taught. Now, we do this multiple ways. Now, some of you support Speed the Light, and your pastor talked about how they helped us with projectors in one area. We buy uh, tablets. We've tried Kindles. They didn't work so well, so we got these, these tablets. 
and our cell group leaders, we cell group, we have these, I'll call them cell groups, we're speaking English, but they're the upper rooms. The leader, he has three, four, five people, no more than seven with him, eight. We have male and female groups, keep separate. And we email them a book, and the, re the leader reads this book to grow himself, but he has a book he teaches to his cell group. If the cell group uh, we gets bigger than however many they can handle in their area, if they are a very secretive area, may after he gets four or five, we don't split the group, we just start another group. So most of our people are members of four or five cell groups that, that, that meet. But in those groups, because Speed Delight has provided us with tablets, Light for the Lost has provided us with, with materials, BGMC has come in and bought literature, and, uh, and equipment, tablets for people that can't afford them. So we utilize because we're a teaching community. We're a teaching community. And I want to tell you a little story. I hope this is encouraging, but I hope it's also shocking. Some years ago, I produced a little tool that we use for evangelism. We put the four gospels into one story, a 10-year story, because it's hard to hide a whole Bible. That's impossible. We don't even try. But we get New Testament, little pocket-sized New Testaments that we can smuggle and we can hide. But we put the four Gospels into even a smaller little book. It's even smaller. And that's the story of Jesus and what Jesus taught. And that's the first thing we want people to believe and understand. And so we had put it on, uh, had someone read it. And so this lady and her 14-year-old boy were reading this book. Now, the, the man had two wives. That's not unusual in our part of the world. And he had been on a trip, and he came in, and he heard them reading this, and he thought it was something Islamic. It, it sounded Arabic. It was Islamic, and so he didn't say anything. But then pretty soon he realized, this, that's not the Quran they're studying. So he comes in, and he says, what's going on? Now, this is, again, this isn't the way that uh, you come out of the closet in our part of the world. But the lady said, while you were gone, we became followers of Jesus. He starts to beat her. The little boy tries to stop his daddy. The daddy knocks him unconscious. The boy spent the night in the hospital uh, with a concussion. The mother runs into the kitchen trying to get out the back door. That was a mistake. He grabbed a big knife and he tried to cut her throat, but he missed and he cut her across here. And he, he, he was actually, it uh, doesn't sound like it, he was, he, he was a man with, was in a rage at that point, but he saw the blood and he, he called the ambulance. He got his wife to the hospital and uh, she survived. She spent four weeks in the hospital and six weeks in rehab. But the women in her cell group went to the hospital. Now, we don't have single rooms in this, this particular area. They're wards. And so she went to the people, the, the, the women in her cell group, and, said, and gave out this little, what we call it, the biography of Jesus, this little, little book. And said, read this. Read to the doctors and the nurses and the people. Read this. Do you think somebody should be killed for... For, for, for reading something like this. So they went home and they prayed and they said, you know, this man who cut his wife had a salon in their little village. Maybe seven, 8,000 people in this little, little town. If you went there, you'd think it's much smaller because they have large families and small houses. It's just a, just a tiny little place. But, and here's what they said. He said, we must start going to his salon to get our hair fixed so that we can show him that we love him and forgive him and tell him about Jesus. Now, quite honestly, I don't want somebody around me with some scissors that just whacked up my friend. But that is Jesus being lived. We call it live Jesus. Not live Jesus. Live Jesus. 
these people lived out Jesus, and they started going to the salon and telling him about Jesus. First, they showed him that, that they loved him and forgave him. And the woman, in, in this part of the world, you can't get a restraining order for your husband. You have to get a divorce, and then you get a restraining order. So she decided she would divorce him. The night before the divorce, God spoke to her and said, don't divorce your husband. So the next morning, they meet at the equivalent of a courthouse, and he's expecting a divorce, and she meets with him, and she says to her husband, she says, uh, no, God spoke to me. I'm, I'm not going to divorce you. She said, I want you to know that I love you. The last time he sees her, he's trying to kill her. I understand the situation this lady's in. Now, she's in kind of a public place. But he said, I want you to know that I love you. And our son loves you, and Jesus loves you. So this man leaves, and he goes to see his son. Now, he has not seen his son, 14-year-old boy. He hasn't seen him in about 10 or 12 weeks since, since the event. He hasn't Because the boy's living with a grandmother. The mother's not able to take care of him, and the boy's scared of his daddy goes to see his daddy. And this 14-year-old boy says to his daddy, he says, Daddy, I love you. And my mother loves you. And Jesus loves you. Last time he saw this boy, he's knocking this boy unconscious. This boy saying, Daddy, Jesus loves you. The man goes home that night. He has a dream. Jesus appears. Jesus says, your son loves you. Your wife loves you. And I love you. Next morning, he goes back and he finds the believers. Now, we, we do what you do. You do it on, we try to baptize immediately. That man came in, gave his heart to the Lord. We baptized him. He took 500 of those little, what we call the biography of Jesus, and he went to every city and every town, every home in that community. He said, you know that two months ago, I tried to kill my wife over this book, but now this book's changed my, I don't want you to read it. And everybody in that community heard why? Because a group of ladies just lived Jesus. They had been taught, love your neighbor, turn the other cheek for you, live out the Great Commission, and because of this man, and now the whole community is, is getting it. People hated him. He got persecuted. A year later, they tried to kill him. They shot his, his car full of bullets with automatic weapons. Killed his, but his brother was driving. It killed his brother and his brother's two little boys, four and six years old. But in that town, many pe other people didn't believe. In that town, many cell groups because people just simply live. We teach Jesus. We teach Jesus. Fellowship. The second thing he says, they remain steadfast apostles in, in fellowship. We are a fellowshipping group. Now, we have to meet secretly. It's hard. At one time, we were trying to meet seven or eight men to meet. It's hard for seven or eight men to hide and meet. We have two people watching us. Uh, sorry, in countries. We have, we have people that are watching. Governments are watching us, but they're afraid of the people that have been in terrorist backgrounds and, and other political groups are watching. So you have to be really careful. But we try to meet, the several try to meet two times a week. But we need that fellowship. We need to study, study God's word, word together. Uh, I'm not going to, don't, I'm not, there's 16 things here. I'm not, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to teach 16 points, but we're going to go through them real quick because you need to hear them. And they were breaking bread, communion. We, we do that. And prayer. If you were in one of our countries this morning, you would have been awakened about 4.30 in the morning. They come on a loudspeaker, and they wake everybody up for it's time for prayer. And they say, to pray is better than to sleep. Rise and pray. That's the Muslim call to prayer. Five o'clock, you'll see people heading off to the mosque in the morning to pray before they go to work. And when they come to the Lord, they are praying people. And we are a praying people, and we appreciate your prayers. 
Verse 43, and everyone was filled with awe in this translation or fear. And the, the, the apostles did wonders and signs were done. We've seen miracles. It's like the one I just mentioned is a, a miracle that this woman survived, a miracle these people came to the Lord. A group of students took a year off university in, in a particular country, and they said, we're not going to go back to the university. We're going to take a gap year or years until there are believers in every city in our country. And they went into a, a small village, I guess about 1,500, 2,000, a small village, and they were in the, the, the market. You know what the bazaar is. You've seen this bazaar, and we, that's a very suitable word. It's, it's where everybody shops. And, and they started giving out New Testaments to people they don't know. Now, we don't recommend this in our part of the world, and I honestly did not know that students were doing it, but these were very uh, energetic uh, students, very zealous for the Lord, and so they got these New Testaments, and they were going out and giving them out, and they gave one to a very radical religious Muslim. He got angry in the market. He ripped that New Testament up. He threw it up into the wind, so that it was very windy at that time of year. And when he did, his arm became paralyzed. His fingers, his wrist, his elbow, he could move his shoulder. What about fear? The people who gave him the New Testament were afraid. They, they called the leader and said, hey, what do we do? Now, this man that they called was about, he says, 15 or 20 minutes away. He said, tell the man to go home, and I'll come there, and I'll find you. He said, I intentionally waited eight hours. He said, I wanted that man to think about what, what he had done. So he got to his house in this little village, and a crowd of people, as you would expect, were all around the house. And so he walks up to them, he says, have any of you ever heard of someone tearing up a Quran and their arm becoming paralyzed? Of course, nobody ever heard of that. And he said, well, you think about that while I go inside. So he goes inside and starts telling this man, he said, listen, we believe Jesus heals, but we're, and we'll pray for you healing, but... First, you need to believe on Jesus. Well, this man was ready to believe, and so they explained to him the gospel. He accepted Jesus, got saved, and uh, so they, they laid hands on him. They prayed for him, and it wasn't immediate healing. They, they said they interceded in tongues maybe 25 or 30 minutes, and God healed the man. And the man goes outside, and he shows everybody God's healing and gives his testimony. They say, well, look, you need to be baptized because I'm, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we got the Church of Christ and the Baptist League. We, we baptize immediately if we can. And any way that we can, we, we get them wet. Sometimes we may not get them under the water, but we get them as wet as you can. And, and, and we, 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 we wanted to make that, com that commitment. So the man said, well, he didn't know what baptism was. He'd never heard of it. So he said, he said well, okay, fill up my bathtub. Got a bathtub. That's where we usually do it. Come fill up a bathtub. He's filling up the bathtub, and the man said, stop. I tore up that New Testament in front of everybody. I want to be baptized in front of everybody. So they got a big water tank thing, and they put uh, they put it out there in the market, and they had to didn't have had to carry buckets of water, fill this thing up, and they baptized this man in front of everybody. And he got out, and he gave out eighty of those New Testaments, is what they had left to people in the audience. And you would think that everybody would be believers, just like Jesus did miracles. And, got people's attention, but everybody didn't believe. In that community, people got controversial arguing. The family kicked him out of his family, kicked him out of the business, got abused, got persecuted. The other believers came in, helped him start a new business. Now, some years later, he, he's thriving, do, do, doing well. Uh, but talk about fear and all coming on people. Well, when you have Pentecost, people are going to be fear for some and all for some. That's why some translate, translate either way. But we have seen 
when the power of God moves and when people live out Jesus. In this one particular country where I live, actually where I'm stationed, we've had 52 martyrs in the last, it'll be seven years in March of next year. 52. That's not counting people who've been beaten, lost their job, paralyzed, lost their eye. As this man, broken arms, lost teeth, uh, persecuted, persecuted. And uh, our first martyr, he wrote me an email, and he said, uh, I'm really getting persecuted. They're threatening. He said, they, they, they're serious. He said, I wrote, I told them. He said, I said, you can chop me in little pieces. You can roll my body down the street in my blood, but I will never go back to Islam. Two weeks later, they shot him in the back twice and killed him. It was considered an honor killing, and uh, the person didn't try to hide. He went to jail that did the killing. And So what did our believers do? Well, we did the Jesus thing. They went to the jail and started witnessing to him. Led the little young boy to the Lord. He was 25 years old. Led him to the Lord. He said, oh, after it took some weeks. He said, oh, I wish I had known you all before I got into the radical Islam. So they had the hearing. In that part of the world, it's uh, the judge gets the two families together because the families are guilty. And, and so he said to the family that did the, uh, the man who did the killing, you must pay the equivalent of $50,000 to the people, to the other family. That's a lot of money in that country because a school teacher might make maybe $750, $800 a month. So 50000 that's an enormous amount of money. But that's the way they do it. And the, the whole family has to pitch in because remember that and pay this other family. But the other family were believers. And they said, we don't want the money. We forgive. And the judge had never heard anything like that. Never heard, never heard anybody turning down money, especially when you were the obviously proven. They admitted it. There, nobody denied their guilt. So he wanted to know, who, who are these people? So the other family wanted to know too. So we started witnessing to the, not just the man in jail, but his family. They became believers. After a few months, the judge became a believer. Somebody just lived Jesus. Somebody died for their faith. Other people didn't resent it, didn't hate, didn't retaliate. I've just got to tell another story here. If we forget my notes here. This is really, this really, this need to do this. I said, a man, it's called like front row believers. They were in, in the mosque, you have people that are there first, they're on the front row kneeling. They kneel on the floor to pray. This old man, he got saved and stopped going, and his family thought, well, he's just old and senile. I mean, he was early 70s at that time, and they thought, well, he's just gotten old and then they found him discipling three young men he had led to the Lord. And uh, then they knew this guy's not just senile. This guy is, so they, they call for a court. And they have these underground courts. They're not legal courts, but the people fear the radical Islam. They call courts and they call this man in. And so he gave his testimony. He said, yeah, gave his testimony about it. And so at the end, they, they sent him home. They took these three boys. They said, okay, you go and burn his store. This man had a little shop. And it's 
a little bit bigger than your drum area. He sold light bulbs and light uh, plug-ins and extensions, a little thing. We thought he was a poor man. We actually thought he was a poor man. Uh, and he had this little store, and they burned it down. So the three boys then went to him and said, uh, you know, this radical group, Muslim Brotherhood, these group, they sent us, they told us. And the man said, I used to be in that group. If they'd have told me to burn your store, I'd have burned your store. I understand. So they sat down and they had communion. They had a meal together. Now the families, they're wondering what is going on with these people. So the whole community got together and they said, well, you know, this man, I go back. This man was, we, we, I said, we thought he was poor. He got saved and he didn't know because in his discipleship, you, you, when you're learning from zero, it takes a while to learn anything, but he knew something about tithing you're supposed to give. And what this man had done was he had given 10 of everything he could think of, 10 refrigerators, 10 stoves, 10 hair dryers, 10 toaster ovens, 10, you name it, blow iron. And that's what, we only found out later what he was doing. He had done it, he was doing it for poor people. And so when, he, when they, they, they burned his son, the people said, Ah, oh, listen, why did they burn this? This is a good man. He said, he doesn't beat his wife, and, and he gives to the poor. So we're going to come back to that, the last, the last characteristic. This is a good example there. And so they went back and rebuilt the store nicer than before. And now he got this beautiful little, still the same size, but it looks nice. So I do these tapes and teachings, and we do because we teach teachings of Jesus, we teach the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we live in the Sermon on the Mount. When people get that learned, and we'll move on to something else, but we teach. So <laughs> some guys came in one day, and they said, uh, well, three boys, we turned the other cheek this week. Well, honestly, I've taught on the Sermon on the Mount and I, years, and I've never had anybody come in and say, well, I turned the other cheek. So I was interested to find out how they, what they'd done. They said, well, you remember what we burned that man's door? I said, well, the people that the, 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 the sheikh that sent us, he and his brothers own eight stores. And this week, we went to every store, and we put on the door a Molotov cocktail. Now, anybody can make a Molotov cocktail from that part. Everybody knows how to make a, take a glass bottle, a drink bottle, fill it full of gas, put a little wick in there, cigarette or something. And we put a note. And the note said, we're not afraid of you. We can retaliate. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek and love your enemy. So I said, you know, so they, left, they said, here's our phone number. You want to know more? Here's how they, they reach us. They, I said, you know what, that's, that's, that's turn the other cheek. But that's living out the Jesus thing. And from that, people then see people that love and forgive. And Jesus is contagious. They, they came up with this beautiful saying in Arabic. It says, spread Jesus like Corona. <laughs> you know, you know. He said, and in one case, he said, you know, look at Corona. In a, in, 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 at that time, he said, in a year, it's gone all around the world several times, and 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 Jesus still has it. And he came up with this little rhyme that says, it, "It's a spread and, and to preach a rhyme in, in Arabic." And he said, "He said so, spread Jesus like we, we, we like we spread uh, Corona." So let's go on through this. And they, uh, they were signed with, and the next, they had, everything had everything in common. I know we don't like to talk about that. They were a giving church. They sold property. If anyone had a need, and we've had all these martyrs, and who takes care of them? Well, the other believers come in and take care of them. 
I'll tell you, when you give in this offering today, not any penny will go for a, a building, an automobile, a salary. It will not go to pay utilities. It will go to two things. Humanitarian needs, helping take care of needy families of people who have been martyred and lost their jobs, and it will go to buy materials, evangelism, and discipleship materials, tablets for people who can't afford them, and books uh, that we print. But they're sharing people, and they share. And somebody has a need, I was talking about the love they have, they, they're sharing people. And that's what the New Testament world. And every day they continue to meet, continually, every day the church met in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes, and they, they were together. They were the united church. They were a glad church, a happy church. We had a man, the most miserable man in the town where I live. Everybody knew him. He was not just the town drunk. He was the town criminal. He had been in jail so many times for everything that you could think of. And his name in Arabic means happy. And when he got saved, he got up one night, and you don't know, in the mosque, only the main person can speak, but he got up in the mosque and he said, for years, you people have made fun of me, you criticized me, you put me in jail. But the Jesus people, that's what we're calling it, the Jesus people told me how to change. And you need to be changed like, like I am. And somebody began to say, but you know, you have changed. So they got in a big argument in the mind. They got in a big, people, not physical, but they were yelling. And somebody said, but, but he is different. And, and he is happy now. And they said, you know what? Yeah, you now have a good, and they said, yeah, you, you, your name fits you. He was now happy you know, because he had become happy, treated people right. What's the next thing here? They broke a sincere, sincere, dedicated. Okay, we have American servicemen that will go into army knowing maybe I'll die. I may go to Afghanistan or Iraq, step on an IED. We know it's a possibility. It's a very different thing people I work with who have put on belts and are ready to go knowing you're going to die. That, that, that's a big difference. People have sent them. It's a beautiful thing, these people that are ready to die for Islam or their country. I'm not just thinking it's a possibility. They're lined up, waiting their turn. Oh. They bring that same dedication to Jesus. I've had so many tell me, I put my life on the line for Islam and I'm going to do the same thing for Jesus. That's sincerity. I don't know why we're growing, why God's adding daily sincerity. Praising God. Oh, they were, we are praising people. And enjoying the favor of the people. That's what I mentioned about that man. He had done stuff for the poor people. And when they found out he was a believer, they said, oh, he's a good man. He stuff for poor people. We rebuilt his shop for him. So many times, because we do so much, we take up, when these cell groups meet, I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to tell it. We mostly meet in mosques. We can hide in plain sight. If any of you are around Catholic churches, they're open all day long, and people can go in and have confession, go in and have prayer, go in and meditate and rest. That's the way the mosque is. So between the five times of prayer, we go in there, and we have a little area, have a little Bible study. Somebody comes in and we don't know, we change the subject. But that's why we don't we don't rent buildings. We don't pay utilities. You know, they pay the electric bill. 
No, we don't have children. They take up their offering. We don't need the money. We don't pay any salaries. We don't have. But they know in their area, and you don't drive generally in this village. You don't drive to the mosque. You uh, walk because it's a neighborhood. They know in the neighborhood somebody's died, somebody's lost their job, somebody's had a divorce, somebody's been injured. Whatever. And they go and they get the gift. They take the money. They give it to people. Later on, somebody finds out they're believers. They say, "Oh, well, this person is a believer," and we have favor with the people. And he said, and God had daily. So you start out with a Pentecostal outpouring. You add all these characteristics, and we're living out our DNA, and then God's adding daily. So we started some years ago. Show number one. I've got up. So show number one. I think that, that we can't be wrong. I don't think we're number one. I have several of these presentations, and I gave you the wrong one. Nope, that's number two. You got that. But this is a great one. I'm going to tell you, I got to tell you about this. Now, this lady... She's been 80 ever since I've known her, and that's been for some years. But she, she's a great lady. And a visionary. Anybody can do something for God. Uh, remember I told you about this, this tape we made of, of, the, of the story of Jesus. We put it on MP3 player because so that people could, yeah, that's the one. That we'll come back. We'll come, that's number one. Thank you. Uh, so I, she got one. I don't know even how she got it. I, I don't know how to find out. But she got one. We put them on MP3 players or chips to put in your phone so people could go down the street and somewhere and listen to the story being read. She's illiterate. And she got that because she couldn't read. And so she started, so she started, she kept coming more of these things. And, and MP3 players, they cost a little bit of money. I mean, four or five dollars a whack, and you just can't just give out somebody eight or ten every week. And uh, found out she was giving it to all her illiterate friends. I never thought about that. We had this time had somebody go to the trouble to tape all this. Took hours of tape, tape the whole four gospels. Somebody's reading it. Never thought about illiterate people. So she's given out hundreds. Show number three. Show number. Show number three. I'm going to guess that I'm no, no number three. Yep, that's number three. This same old lady. She gave it to her two blind friends. I never thought about blind people. These two ladies run a blind school. They became believers. All the teachers in that blind school today, school for blind, are believers and over half the students. Because that other lady who was illiterate and uneducated had a vision, well, I can give this to a blind person and they can hear the gospel. Let's try, go to number 10. Yeah, I got them safe here. Oh, these are our, talking about things we do. These are some of our camps. We do camps every summer, but nobody in this country was doing special needs camps. So do number 10, do number 11, 12. That's a better one to 13, 14, 15, 16, no, 17, 18. I don't know. Oh, all right, yeah, we'll stop there. We have all these camps, and they had a special need. The first year we had, if I remember right, there were four of these kids in wheelchairs there. The next year, we didn't have room. Now, not just the, the mother brought them, but the aunt brought them and the sisters and the brothers came. And so as you saw in those crowds, it wasn't just the kids. The whole family was hearing the gospel because somebody had the vision. This is our college. I don't know if this would go over. You've been a decap. This is a youth camp. 
Now, talk about a move of God. Now, there was a move of God because as the sun moved, we had to keep moving so we'd be under that tree. <laughs> now, we were out there for three days, three days. I don't know if Americans need us to do that or not. Uh, the, the, some of these were in that, se- I'll tell you about those 70 students, some of these were in there. This was a, this was a training thing for a camp for college college students. Uh, but we, so we get together and we have meetings. Okay. <laughs> so we meet wherever we can. This is way out, in, as you can see, that's out in the desert. But there are some trees out there. And uh, sometimes it's nice to get under, 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 the, under the sun. We spent a year and a half planning a missions trip to the city that we thought was the most difficult place to reach. We thought this place, with our knowledge, no one's ever been in this country to this particular village. It's the hardest place. And it took us more than a year, about a year and a half, if I remember right, to plan that trip. And we went there. I didn't go for some reason. And we had fruit. Some people came to the Lord. And the last day that they were there, a man came to the Lord, and he was weeping and weeping. And that's not unusual. We've all seen somebody come to the Lord and, they're, and, and, and they weep and they're sorry for their sins and they're weeping. But this was unusual. And so one of the men went over to him and said, Brother, uh, is there something you need to talk about? Something, because this was just so unusual. Now, we were patting ourselves on the back. And honestly, they should be. They had risked their lives, risked their lives, taken several days just to get there. Spent several, uh, uh, ten days or eight or ten days in the, in the community. Put their lives on the line. And it had taken a year and a half to plan it. And so they said to this man, what, what you, what's, what's, what's wrong? He said, my parents died without Jesus. This man's been a believer 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know how long he was gone. But he's thinking about his parents. And then he's made this statement. He said, what took y'all so long to get here? That haunts us. We planned those trips. We said, and we remember that. People out there wondering what's taking us so long. Coca-Cola's been all around the world. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. Everybody's got corona. And here, here's Jesus. Hadn't got there yet. And I want to say, after 2,000 years, what's taking us so long? We've done a great job. It's not to take away from what the good, and this group had worked so hard, it's not to take away from But to that man who had lost his parents, we were too late. And I'll leave that question with you. What's taking us so long to reach our world? Wow, what a uh, uh, powerful testimony. I want you to know, God is moving all around the world. And you look on the news, and you see people, and you think all people are that way. And you know what? They're not. They're all angry. They're all bitter. They're all have an edge. And there are many that are just like us, you know, just kind people. I had the opportunity, our, our team, we lived in Palestine for, uh, uh, for a week, and we met wonderful, wonderful people, loving, loving people. And I just want you to know, God's doing powerful things all around the world. And uh, 
Um, so this morning, I want to do a couple of things before we go to, to baptism today. Uh, we're going to take an offering for our guest speaker this morning. Now, unfortunately, stories like this, he can't do a Facebook group. He can't have a website, you know, so we have people in sensitive areas serving God faithfully who can't do the normal kind of fundraising and support, okay? So this morning, we're going to take a missionary offering. 100% of that offering will go to the, the, the ministry of our guest speaker to further God's work in that part of the world. If you're a guest, you're not required to give. Um, but if you, if you go here, write a check just to Generations Church. If you'd like, put it in the drop box. Uh, when you leave, if you're online, you can go to the drop down and the same here. If you, if you don't have a check or cash, you can just go to the drop down on our website or our app and it'll say missionary uh, guest speaker and you can, you, can give, uh, you can give that way. Also, if you're here today, um, you're a regular attender, you know, just consideration of your faith promises. Uh, how, do, uh, how do people, uh, you know, how do missionaries get to the field? They're sent by the local church. And he, he concluded, well, they're, they're asking what took so long. We want to do everything we can. We give well over $100,000, $175,000 a year we give away uh, from ourselves. So uh, if you want to uh, consider that this morning. So uh, let's take a moment. We want to pray for the Middle East. And then we're going to transition to, uh, to baptism this morning. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for workers and churches and believers who are serving in a really, really tough part of the world. And, God, we pray for them this morning. I thank you uh, for our guest speaker. I thank you for uh, uh, his team. Lord, I ask you to bless them, minister to them. God, all of, the, all of those upper room ministries, those leaders, Lord, we pray for the power and the presence of God. Lord, your Holy Spirit cannot be stopped by walls. It cannot be stopped by governments. Lord, you're, you said yourself, wherever the wind blows, that's where the Holy Spirit is at. And we pray that you would touch lives and redeem believers in the, in the Middle East. And Lord, we just give you thanks for your goodness today. And Lord, we rejoice in the seed that was planted and those that maybe we'll never meet. But Lord, uh, the, the harvest is there in the Middle East. And we give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hey, give it up for our guest speaker. We enjoyed having you this morning. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.